So, Heavenly Fathers, we come before you once again on, on another Lord's Day, Father. We are thankful for your sustaining grace uh, towards us, even through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Fathers, we uh, set our minds to this topic now, Lord, living as a church, even uh, discontentment within the church. Father, we ask for your help, uh, for clarity of thinking, soften our hearts, uh, even expose sin in our hearts, Lord, that needs to be addressed. And just pray, Father, that you'd build us up uh, in unity as a church as we uh, unite around Christ together. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. So you can see, can I ask, do we have handouts? Our handouts, not yet? Some? Okay, I think there's going to be some more handed out. Uh, so the topic this morning, class seven, discontentment within the church. A test of unity. I was just thinking about this this morning. This is one of those topics where it has been said, fools rush in where angel, angels fear to tread. So addressing this topic of discontentment. Maybe you could be stepping on some toes this morning, perhaps, but this is a, this is a good topic. It, it's a topic that needs to be addressed because, of course, discontentment is something that we can all struggle with, even within the church. So raise your hand if you've ever been part of a perfect church. No one? Of course, if someone did raise your hand, that person would be wrong because you are part of the church and you're not perfect, right? How's that for a morning introduction? You don't need your, your coffee now because you just got jolted by that. Um, it's those we love the most who can hurt us the most, is it not? So when we think about the body of Christ, we very often have very high expectations for each other because we love each other. But of course, that means we can let each other down more, and it can be more painful when we do disappoint each other and hurt each other. So maybe you can recall the last time you were deeply disappointed with a church. Maybe this church, maybe another church in your past. Maybe you can think of the last time you felt a church had let you down. Maybe it's been months since you joined this church, perhaps even years, and you're maybe still struggling to make deep connections and, and friendships and experience meaningful fellowship. Maybe the congregation has been unconcerned with a particular priority of yours that is very important to you personally, but it maybe seems like the church isn't wanting to jump on board with that. Difficulties can so easily lead to discontentment. So how we respond to discontentment can be a great enemy of our unity as a church, or, believe it or not, it can actually be used to promote good and unity in the church. That's one of the things we're going to address this morning. You can see, uh, for those of you who have a handout, scope of the class, or sorry, introductory questions. I'm just going to throw this out there, maybe one response. Um, what are some ways that our response to discontentment can harm unity in the church? And then second question, how can a good response to disappointment strengthen the church? Anyone have any thoughts even in, in regards to one of those questions? Any thoughts? Anna?
Yeah. So thinking beforehand about how you're going to go about talking about your discontentment. Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely something that we're going to look at this morning. Um, so like all adversity, we know that God gives us the grace to work through discontentment. And he intends it to serve his glory and our good. So this is the million dollar question this morning. How can we promote unity when we encounter discontentment in the church? Let me say it again. How can we promote unity when we encounter discontentment in the church? So just a little bit of uh, definitional clarity uh, to sort of frame our terms for this morning. Today's class isn't going to address how we should respond to, to very clear sin in the church. That's going to be addressed later. Um, nor will today's class specifically address discontentment that comes with disagreement from the leadership. So Lord willing, we're going to cover that uh, next week. So those topics are yet to come. Today's topic uh, is focusing on discontentment in the church when there isn't necessarily clear sin in that issue or the leadership are, are not involved so it's sort of a bit of a, a certain slice of, of discontentment, as it were. So today's topic, then, is sort of almost a mirror image of last week's class, where we thought about how we can grow in unity together uh, concerning our love for one another. So the mirror image, then, is considering how we respond to aspects of our church that are not necessarily sinful, and yet can be a cause of unhappiness and thus a potential source of disunity and discouragement. So that's sort of what we're going to be addressing. Um, I would say it's worth pointing out that, that there can actually be um, meaningful reasons for true discontentment in the church. In other words, there, there's even such a thing as a godly discontentment. So for example, you might be very convinced that we ought to be supporting a very good mission organization. And they are, you know, they're very solid, they're doing good, meaningful work, and so on. And, and, and the church chooses not to support that organization. Well, there's a sense in which that actually could be a good discontentment. You know, you're burdened for the lost in that region of the world, whatever it may be. But again, how you respond to that discontentment is really what we're going to be addressing this morning if that makes sense. So we're going to start by examining the negative effect that discontentment can have on a church. So this is point two, if you've got a handout, bitter fruit from poor response to discontentment. Let me just offer a definition here first. So we could define discontentment as a longing for something better than the present situation. Let me say it again. Discontentment can be defined as a longing for something better than the present situation. And like I said just earlier, there can be godly discontentment. So we know for a fact that this world is broken by sin, right? We're living in a fallen, fractured world. And there's a, there's a, there's a godly um, longing and even restlessness, I would say, that the believer has, right? For the Lord to... Um, you know, we're, we're sort of at this stage of redemption in redemptive history, and there's this longing for the final restoration 
of all things. So that could sort of fall within the category of a godly discontentment as well, sort of a godly restlessness almost, for a longing for God to act and fix things. But there can be a sinful discontentment where we refuse to trust God's goodness and extend gratitude for his provision, but instead demand more than he has ordained. So even if our discontentment is godly, we can still put our hope in our circumstances rather than in God himself. And this is going to be a key thing going forward in this class. Our circumstances are so often tied to our discontentment. So let's look at three ways in which discontentment, if not handled properly, can harm the witness of the church. And I see that uh, handouts are being handed out now. So this is under point two, bitter fruit from poor response to discontentment. Number one, discontentment can lead to complaining and grumbling. So we're commanded, you can see there in Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So this is actually, if you actually consider this command here, and it is a command, right? This is in the imperative. So in other words, it's not a suggestion. It is a command. It is convicting. Don't complain or grumble in anything ever. (laughs) And we can see we're all sinners now as we're confronted by this passage. So part of the way in which our witness should be compelling to the world around us is that we don't complain. So see James uh, 5, 9 as well. When we don't properly address discontentment and it leads to grumbling, we damage the witness of the church and we damage the characteristics that make us distinct as Christians. We all know, of course, and many of you, all of us have experience of what it's like in the world, right? Maybe in the workplace, at school, whatever it may be, interacting with unbelievers, grumbling and discontentment is just the air that everybody breathes. And so we're called to be distinct from that. So discontentment can lead to complaining and grumbling. Second, discontentment can lead to discord. When we're unhappy with something, with some situation, what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to talk about it, right? to criticize, to maybe rally support, right? To sort of get a little posse where you can all sort of grumble together. Trying to to bring people over sort of to your point of view. So no matter the virtue of our initial concern, this type of behavior can quickly cause factions and dissensions within the church. Now this is, again, very... Uh, sobering, causing factions and dissension within the church is something that the Apostle Paul lists alongside idolatry, witchcraft, and fits of rage when he writes about the sinful acts of the flesh in Galatians 5. That's Galatians 5.20. So we need to be careful to address discontentment because of the discord that it can produce. Third, Discontentment distracts us from what really matters. So as individuals and and as a church, our charge is to make the most of every opportunity. That's Ephesians 5, 
16, but discontentment consumes our time and energy, doesn't it? This is something that, I've, that we found even as elders over the years. It can just sap your energy. It starts to sort of monopolize your time and attention uh, to be able to care for fellow brothers and sisters. And it can sap the energy of the elders and the staff at times. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. When I say that, I'm not saying that that's just always, you know, we're, we're constantly having our energy sapped by that. But we, we certainly have experienced that at times. It can be um, a thing. So this is some of the bitter fruit that discontentment can bear in our life together as a church. But, and here's, so here, here's, here's an interesting thought, and I, I've addressed this earlier. Discontentment can actually strengthen the body as well. Discontentment can strengthen the body as well. You say, how, how does that work? Well, when we respond in a way, and this is something that Anna uh, was sort of alluding to, if we respond in a way that is godly, when we submit to each other for the sake of Christ, and we do the hard work of loving one another, right? The hard work of, of talking to one another, we're actually building up the body of Christ and God is being honored in that instance. So we show that our unity doesn't rest on perfect agreement or compatible personalities. That's not gonna happen, of course, right? In any church, there's, there's never gonna be perfectly compatible personalities. But when we're resting on our shared hope and satisfaction in Christ, there's actually a way in which we can move through discontentment and maintain unity in the, in the spirit of the bonds of peace as we've been looking at Ephesians 3. So that's point two. Point three, addressing discontentment then. Addressing discontentment. How should we do this? Well, four suggestions here. And again, um, let me just frame this with this, this the, uh, classic verse from Philippians 4, 11. We want to be able to say with Paul, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's an amazing statement. But Paul said, I have learned in whatever situation I am and to be content. So it's a learned thing. In other words, it doesn't come naturally even for the born again believer. It's something that as we mature and grow as Christians, it's something that we, are, we, we ought to be learning and moving towards. So with that in mind, you can see four guidelines there for addressing discontentment. First of all, pray for God's mercy. Pray for God's mercy. Just consider Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So our first guideline then is to cry out to mercy, for mercy. Cry out to God for mercy. That's what we need to be doing. So what is this, what is this, um, recognize then. Well, it recognizes that in and of ourselves, when there's discontentment or maybe bitterness growing in the heart, if you try to respond to it, maybe even in a godly way on your own, you're not gonna, you don't have the power to do that. None of us do. We need the Lord for everything. So that we're recognizing our neediness, but then his um, provision to be able to um, 
fight discontentment and deal with it in the proper way. When someone rubs you the wrong way in the church, you need to recognize that you are entering into a spiritual battle at that point. So Satan wants to destroy us with bitterness, pride, revenge. We can justify giving into temptation when we feel that we're in the right. So when we encounter discontentment, pray. We need to pray. We're waging a war that we can't win on our own at that point. So pray that God would give you discernment and wisdom through his word. Pray that God would identify any sinful desires in your own heart and replace them. Pray that he would fuel your heart with the love of Christ. So just consider this. We would honor God far more if we tried to fix things ourselves less often and spent more time in desperation pleading from God to fix us. So prayer, and we're going to see going forward, prayer is going to be framing sort of a godly response in all of these things. Second, examine your desires, confess and repent of those that are sinful. Where is their sin that needs to be confessed? Where are their desires that should be satisfied in Christ, but maybe you're, you're wrongly seeking satisfaction in something else? Maybe in comfort, maybe the, the fear of man is involved, maybe the respect of others that you desire. So James, James 4, uh, 1 and 2a says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights? among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So James, he makes the connection here between discontentment and circumstances. It's really important to recognize here, James 4. There's a connection between discontentment and circumstances. We often feel discontent because we put our hope in circumstances rather than in God. So just consider this. Circumstances change, right? Circumstances change. They ebb and flow, right? Oftentimes, maybe life feels a little bit like a roller coaster. I think as the Lord matures someone, it starts to sort of stabilize out. But there's still very much highs and lows, right? So if your contentment is attached to your circumstances, it's going to be all over the place. Where does the scriptures, uh, where do the scriptures teach us? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when our contentment is attached to, the, to, to Christ, even to who we are in Christ, our security in Christ, now there's, there's um, foundation there for stability. So is there a fight or a quarrel? Then there are unleg- ungodly desires in your heart to deal with. So ask God to identify sin in your life and confess it as sin. So this is addressing the root problem. Man. What are the desires behind the emotions? of discontentment. 
just a few things to consider. Are you putting your hope in people's approval rather than in Christ's provision for you? Well, the gospel declares that God's approval of you in Christ is sufficient. Are you maybe jealous about a, a relationship or a friendship that another gospel partner here enjoys that you might not have in your own life? Well, the gospel says that you're a friend of Jesus Christ and you can be satisfied in him. Are you frustrated that seemingly no one in the church understands your struggles and your desire to be heard? Well, the gospel declares that God sees you. God knows you. God understands. God forgives you. God guides you. Are you discontent because you feel you deserve better treatment than you've received? That could be a very real thing. Remember the gospel's call to lay down your life and your rights for the sake of Christ. Jesus Christ, of course, I mean, as we're, as we're, even as Pastor Clint takes us through the gospel of Mark, he was almost completely misunderstood by his disciples as he went to the cross. But he went forward secure in, in uh, his relationship with his father and the mission his father had given him. So that's examining your desires. Let's look at point C. See other believers the way God does. This means that we should view others through the lens of love, not disappointment or suspicion. So again, you can see the gospel is crucial here. It reminds us that in Christ, God has lavished his riches of forgiveness on us in spite of our sin. So through a gospel lens then, we can see that is, you know, Various people in the church might let you down, might rub you the wrong way, might step on your toes. You recognize that uh, they, like you, are a work in progress, and God has not abandoned them or forsaken them or given them the cold shoulder or treated them in the way that you might be tempted to treat them. So they're not our enemies then, each person here, if they're in Christ, they're a dear brother or sister. Yes, they may misunderstand you. They may let you down. They may frustrate you. They may, may disappoint you. But because of Christ's sacrifice, God doesn't give up on them or withdraw from them. So sort of the long view is needed then, isn't it? It's, it's remembering how patient and kind the Lord is towards you and then being able to extend that to others to your brothers and sisters. Just a few more things to think about here, viewing others from God's vantage point. First, when you're unhappy with someone in the church, pray for that person. Pray for their growth and sanctification. I know how this goes sometimes, doesn't it? If you're being honest with yourself, it's just like, oh, it maybe feels like that person is never going to grow. God, why don't you just like grow them up really quick? <laughs> You need to remember, well, hold on a sec. I actually, my growth has taken a long, long time, right? So then you're extending that, that patience and that long view to others. People don't, people don't just sort of pop up and flourish instantly, right? The long view is necessary. 
maybe consider uh, sending that person an encouraging email or, or maybe um, caring for a physical need. Choosing to love someone at a, at a practical level can be one of the best ways to soften your heart in the midst of discontentment. Uh, another one, consider how all of God's children are precious in his sight. So Philippians uh, 2, you guys know the verse, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Why are we commanded to do this? Is it because they are more capable or more godly? Well, no. It's because they are Christ's possession. He has bought them with his blood. They are precious in God's sight. So my selfish discontentment begins when I've elevated my worth and importance over those around me. That's sort of something that Philippians 2 is getting at there. So let's say that I'm impatient uh, with someone who just never seems to volunteer for something. Right? So I could just think, you know, how dare this person not contribute to the church's needs in this way? Does he not understand? Or, or, or maybe he, he thinks that his time is more valuable than mine. Right? Doesn't he realize, realize how busy I am and yet I still serve? Well, I would do well at that point to refocus my concern away from the value of my time and toward the value of that brother or sister. So Christ gave his life for him or her. That's how I'll turn my thoughts from contempt to love. Uh, just trying to check where we are here. Uh, D, speak, speak the truth in love, speaking in love. What are some aspects here that we can zero in on? First of all, work through the things we've talked about so far. So prayer, examining your desires, seeing others as God sees them before you speak with someone about your area of unhappiness. Are you wanting to confess sin or work to encourage the church? If your conversation doesn't fall into one of these two categories, confessing sin or working to encourage the church, you could be in danger of complaining or grumbling at that point. So work through those things we've talked about. Second, when you think it's good to talk with someone, talk constructively about how you, you two can better serve the church. So simply using conversation to let off steam or to seek affirmation of your discontentment will likely spread that discontentment. The temptation to sin and anger can be strong and this is something that needs to be guarded against. Third, recognize your responsibility as a church member. So we've talked about Matthew 18 a little bit in this class, right? Dealing with sin in the church. The first step is to confront the individual who is in sin. And one-on-one, -on -one, right? One-on-one. -on -one. So with very few exceptions, if you're talking about anything else, sorry, if you're talking with anyone else about that sin, then you're acting as a gossip and a slanderer. I would just say one of, the, one of the exceptions in that regard would be you maybe need advice or wisdom, right? 
I'm talking about the Matthew 18, confronting a brother or sister in sin. Uh, maybe you do. Maybe that's something new to you. Maybe you, you, you know, you've never done it before. So maybe you're reaching out for advice. But if you're talking to someone else about that person, you, you very well could be um, gossiping or, or slandering that person. Very often, I've noticed over the years, well, I, I won't want to say very often, at times, I'll have folks reach out to me who have been hurt by somebody else and they sort of want me to come in and try to fix it. Well, the challenge at that point is that, according to Matthew 18, that individual who's been hurt or sinned against actually is to go to the person themselves. And again, I'm happy to give counsel. The elders are happy to give counsel. Another mature believer here is happy to give counsel or advice. But again, the mandate is to go speak with that person first, right? So recognize your, your responsibility as a church member. Uh, fourth, be careful how you speak about the issue publicly. So here's where sort of slicing and dicing into different categories is, is uh, helpful. Some things in the church are unclear and unimportant. Others are important but unclear. So I, I would suggest at this point, this is where you really do want to reach out to an elder or you know, a, a mature believer that you trust. If something is both important and clear, so now we're talking about even doctrinally, right? The, di- the, the divinity of Christ, the authority of Scripture, one of the big ones in the church in our day is even considering men's and women's roles within the church, right? We're living in a hyper-egalitarian age in our society. Those things are actually very clear, though, scripturally. If we're addressing something like that, right, important and clear, then speaking publicly is potentially a good thing. But if it's not in that category of both serious and clear from Scripture, then sort of, um, let's say, in a members meeting or maybe, maybe blasting somebody on CCB, well, that's, at that point, that's going to be the wrong way of going about it. Um... So four guidelines for addressing discontentment. Pray, understand your desires, repent of what is sin, and see others as God sees them. Let's move to the last one there. How are we doing? We're at 10 minutes. A specific areas of discontentment in the church. So you can see the first one there. That's a... That's a Fairly common one, isn't it? The church isn't meeting my needs. The church isn't meeting my needs. Well, I I need to be pretty frank at this point. We need to recognize that that statement is actually a selfish, selfish demand that the church serve me. Right? Again, I would suggest in modern evangelicalism, we're, we're sort of all maybe coming out of something, some uh, sort of relationship with the seeker-sensitive movement where it's very consumer-driven. So that can be a natural sort of response. But at root, that is a selfish demand that the church serve me. So we've talked quite a bit in this course about the reason for the church. It's not ultimately to surround us 
with uh, social relationships in which we, we find fulfillment. So it's not, it's not merely a social club. Its ultimate purpose is to glorify God by showing off his power and his ability to bring people from all different backgrounds, right? Ethnicities, demographics, hobbies, interests, and unite them around Christ, where naturally this group of people, there'd be lots of dissension and discontentment and so on. But the power of the gospel unites us. So we can see then that we're not the center of the universe at that point, but God is, right? It's really important. Uh, We need to learn where true joy comes from. The world thinks that joy comes from being a consumer. You just think about the, like, uh, how bombarded we are with advertisements in our day. I mean, this is just the air we breathe, so we're so used to it, right? It, just think of a commercial, wh- whatever it is. I mean, it's all on computers and social media now, right? The, the cell phone company, whatever it might be, it's all about you following your heart, you fa- finding satisfaction, in, you know, based on your, uh, having your felt needs and desires met. Well, if you look around at our society, we would have to say that that leads to misery. That leads to misery. So joy does not come from being a consumer, from having all your desires met. Christianity actually teaches that, that joy comes by serving others as Christ has served us. We just saw that in Mark 10:45 recently. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, of course, our serving others is not atoning in any way, but that, that is the pattern we are to follow, and that actually is where true joy comes from. There was something I wanted to address, because I've spoken with uh, a couple ladies now in this class who have offered some, some I think, good... I wouldn't want to say pushback, but just even some things to think about. Some, some of you ladies, maybe, even I'm thinking of, of, you know, moms with young children, perhaps. You're thinking, well, I don't have time to serve right now. I would say, actually, if you think about it, you're in a station in life right now where you are serving your children. And that you've got to recognize that is incredibly meaningful, Right? So don't feel guilty that you can't necessarily serve in the church. You're, laying, you're in a position right now, a station in life, where you're laying your life down for your little ones. And that is a good and beautiful thing. So I just want to encourage you in that. So over the long haul, then, as a, as a Christian, the Christian posture is to seek joy by laying down your life for others. I would just say, you know, there obviously going to be times of sickness, maybe times of chronic illness where you feel like you can't do much. Well, at that point, again, it takes um, a humility to be served, right? Very often, you know, someone serves you and you really just want to pay them back right away, (laughs) right? It can be hard to just be served. And it takes, I think, just a, you know, really being grounded in Christ to be able to receive that and not feel like you have to pay back. Uh, so the church isn't meeting my needs. Second, the church is disappointing my expectations for fellowship and growth. So we might desire to serve the church selflessly, but still feel a lingering disappointment with the th- way things are 
in church. And I would suggest that at, with a church this size, that the size that Calvary Grace has grown to be, it can be a challenging thing to really start to develop meaningful friendships and relationships, fellowship, right? Some of you folks here who are gospel partners, maybe you've go, been going here for a few months, maybe even a couple years, and you might still be in a position where there might be a bit of discontentment because you don't feel like there's maybe meaningful relationships there. Well, I would say you really just need to continue to press in <clears throat> to the life of the church and make use of what is available there. And again, start with prayer, right? Bring these cares and concerns to the Lord. So follow the pattern established earlier. Following the pattern established earlier, we should approach situations like this with prayer. We should also ask hard questions. Are there things I need to do differently to experience better, better fellowship in the church or to take advantage of the opportunities to grow? So ask others that you know and trust and receive their counsel and input and then pursue appropriate actions or steps to move forward. So that might involve talking with a pastor. I spoke with one lady uh, this week who I think exemplified this very well. Just struggling to make relationships, but she, we had a really good chat and I, I think she left encouraged and there was, no, there was no real gossip or slander on her part. It was just, a, just an open sharing of, you know, just uh, struggling to find deeper relationship, right? Um, another thing to consider too, if you if you're maybe feeling in that place right now, there's actually other folks that feel the same way, believe it or not, right? So what you need to do then is reach out to, if you can recognize, okay, you're sort of in this position where you're wanting more meaningful relationships, deeper fellowship, Recognize someone else that might be struggling in the same way and try to form a friendship with that person, right? So you're even reaching out to that person who might be struggling in the same way. And who knows what the Lord could do. There, there could be a very fruitful uh, friendship that could blossom there. So that being said, there may come a time when you find that a particular church, despite its grounding God's word, isn't a place where you're growing spiritually. So what should you do at that point? Well, talk to others around you after you've prayed and confessed any sins. So you, again, can, you can see the pattern. Let the elders know, seek wisdom and counsel. I would just say the last thing you should do is to sort of come to a conclusion on your own without sharing it with anybody that you're just, you're, you're out of here. You're going to find a different church. The challenge with that, I would suggest, and we've seen this before, is you may discover that you're just going to experience the, di the same discontentment at, at your next church. So in other words, it could be just issues that need to be dealt with, and the, the Lord's plan for your growth and sanctification is actually to stay put and to press in and to con continue to move forward together. So again, if you, if you feel like maybe you're in that place right now, please discuss it with somebody. Approach an elder, approach someone that you trust and love, but be on guard against um, the, 
the potential for, for uh, discord that it could cause if dealt with improperly. Okay, we got one more point, and I've got not too much time left. This is an interesting one. Dislike of church members. Does that ever happen? Should I address this? <laughs> Maybe you just simply just don't like somebody in the church. Maybe it's an issue of envy, rivalry. Maybe you resent the blessings that God has lavished on someone else. Or maybe it's just a, a basic feeling of discomfort. This person is just so unlike you, right? Maybe even culturally. They, they, they just seem so strange or weird or whatever, right? What do you do at that point? How do you work through this discontentment? Well, again, follow the pattern that we've established. Pray that God would change your heart. Confess any sin to God and seek his forgiveness. Recognize that a desire to love someone, uh, or, or not to love someone rather, is sin. So it's not something that you can just merely brush aside because you claim sort of incompatibility, right? Again, that's sort of the way the world operates. Sadly, even in marriage very often in our day. Oh, we're just not, we're just not compatible anymore. Well, no, love would have you lay your life down for that person. Love is an action at that point. So learn to pray for people whom you dislike that God would bless and mature them. Consider that though these people, and, and we would have to all put ourselves in this um, category, we're all broken and imperfect today, but being transformed to be more like Christ with ever-increasing glory, even to final glorification on the last day. So loving those whom we find uncomfortable isn't easy, but as members of a church, it's hugely important. And again, I would just say, just think of the love of Christ, right? He, he, he shows incredible love to difficult people, including ourselves. So to conclude... At the root of discontentment is the idea that things would be better if some person or situation would simply change. But that is precisely why we put our hope in God and not in our circumstances. So praise God then that we don't have to cling to our weak, the, the, the weak and temporary hopes of this world. He has given himself as our anchor. He is sovereign over our circumstances. Just consider this. God was sovereign when Noah was being mocked, when Joseph was in the pit, when Israel was in slavery, when David was being hunted by Saul, and when Christ was on the cross. So his goodness always prevails, and in him we can find the joy of true contentment. I'm going to have to pray and uh, close this down. As always, you got questions, please feel free to come up and talk. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is uh, perhaps a challenging uh, topic to address this morning. Father, this can touch, this, this topic can touch a nerve, uh, perhaps, for some of us. 
Father, just pray if there has been any sin exposed, Lord, that there would be repentance and faith there. Father, we need your help, even by the power of your Holy Spirit, to move through discontentment in a way that uh, builds up the church rather than uh, tears it down. So, Father, we need help in all these things. Help us to have our eyes fixed on Christ, um, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Prepare our hearts and minds even now for the main service. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.